You're listening to the Marketing Made Inclusive podcast. Tune in each week to learn how we can all make inclusive marketing the industry standard. Welcome and welcome back to the Marketing Made Inclusive podcast. I am your host, Joanne Boyce. And today we are joined by what I just realized is our first non-marketer, Laura. Oh, see, I pause because I stumble. Gamble. This is becoming an unfortunate tradition, but also it's because I overthink it. Laura Gamble, who's a data scientist, who is a friend of mine, and I wanted to have her on the podcast so we can talk all things AI. I do think you are somewhat of a marketer, but I'll let you self-describe if you feel that you are or not, Laura. Introduce yourself to the people. Sure. Uh, I'm Laura Gemmel. I'm the founder of Taught by Humans. I'm currently saying I'm the technical CEO, which is the chief everything officer because I literally do everything for the business. So yes, marketing does fall under everything that a startup founder has to do. Uh, As Joanne mentioned, I am a data scientist or a technologist by uh, trade. I have a PhD in educating the public about artificial intelligence and the skills needed to work in these areas. And Taught by Humans is an AI data confidence company. We are building a product to help people learn in a personalized way so they can become AI and data confident in their jobs. Absolutely love it. And who better to have on the podcast with me to discuss all things AI? Because I know sometimes I am some of my Marxist friends' go-to person for AI questions. Laura is my go-to person. (laughs) So... My first question, Laura, is the generative AI boom, right? We know AI has been around for a while, but I feel like generative AI is the one that has been impacting marketing one of the most. Like, how do you see it and, and what are your vibes on it? Sure. So I think when we're talking right now, we've had about a year of generative AI being very mainstream. So it's been around for a while, but we've had a year since the chat the first chat GPT was released and everybody went um, quite intense about this whole thing. Um, To me, I would say, I think why this boom has happened and why it's impacting things like marketing is because people can actually touch this one. And what I mean by that is chat GPT was an interface where people can literally type in a way that they do other things on the internet and feel how this AI was talking back to them and things like that. Before we kind of had things like neural networks and, which, which did great things in, in areas like predicting whether an image had a cancer tumor in it and things like that. But again, people didn't really get to touch them. They just got told this was the results of an algorithm and it seemed a little bit detached. So generative AI, people can touch, they can do fun things with, they can make images, they can make it tell them jokes, they can get it to write for them. Um, so to me, it just feels a little bit more real, a little bit more everyday than previous iterations of AI before. I think that's interesting because the touch element for me, I always say to people, well, we've used as marketers, we've used Google, we've used Google Analytics, but I realized a lot of people didn't know AI was involved in that. So what what do you think? And it's funny because I sometimes think marketers ruin everything, but do you feel that because it's marketed as an AI, like it literally has AI chat GPT, it does have AI in the name. It does. I just realized that. Sorry, I know. Because we know Google and we know SEO and we know all those things has AI integrated in it. What's the difference from using Google now to using ChatGPT? Like, why are people 
now clocking the AI. I think it's the personality part. And yes, I don't think AIs have personalities, but you feel like you're talking to something a little bit more human than when you're typing into a search bar. So people want to be friends with it. It's like when people talk to Alexa, a lot of people say please and thank you, even though there's absolutely no need to. It's because they feel like they're talking to a personified something. And I think that's the the chat GPT thing. Like when you were when you chat to service bots in the corner of a screen, and you end up well, I always end up writing human in capital letters because they annoy me so much. Uh, yeah, it's why I get to talk to a person. I just keep writing it in capital letters until it listens to me. And um, whereas with chat GPT, it does kind of it corrects itself, it apologizes, it does all these things that make it feel a little bit more human, which make people either trust it more or be more weary of it depending on like how you feel about it but yeah when you type into a google search bar or, a bar, or when you use a bit of software it's very removed right you don't see what's going on it doesn't talk back to you it isn't nice to you it's like here's your results you've done this wrong and i think it's just that bit of it that makes chat gpt and all the other um assistants feel a little bit different mm, because yeah with google you just get delivered the results and we as marketers are always trying to rank, but there's no way for us to gamify or get into ChatGPT to get our content to rank. So high level, and Lord knows sometimes I'm asking questions more high level than we normally would have conversations, but so they, to create ChatGPT, to my understanding, they scraped the internet. And that means that they went and they got data from everybody's websites and chucked it into a machine, and then the machine learned from that and now answers all our questions based on the internet. Is that a way you could say it worked? How, how? Yeah, I think there's a few interesting steps in the middle that I can talk about like quite high level that I find really interesting. So whether the entire internet was scraped or not is a contentious point, right? Because it's said all the time, OpenAI constantly say that they did not script the whole internet, but I don't know, the answers are very Reddit leaning, aren't they? So like the website Reddit, the answers very much answer like that. Or if you're trying to be friends with it, it really talks to you like the way bloggers write. Okay. Um, so I don't know. But one of the interesting things is they built this algorithm and the algorithms are called GPT. So chat GPT is actually the chat bot interface that they've built for it to be friendly. Um, and how they got it to behave like this is they built another algorithm. So there was a point when humans were telling it what to do, and that's called reinforcement learning. So you're saying, right, that's wrong, that's right, that's wrong, that's right, that's nearly right. And they realized they were doing it in such a way that they could build another algorithm that was almost like the checking algorithm. So they built another algorithm that then could train the GPT algorithm to be better, which I think is really interesting and probably why it got so supercharged so fast. Um, but yeah, to me, that was very interesting. Um, so that's a reinforcement learning using multi-bots, I think is the term these days, if you want a technical term. Um, but yeah, so they've built all these different systems that can actually make their algorithms better almost automatically after they've built the algorithms. So a few extra steps in the middle, not just I scraped the internet and made it, made it into a good algorithm. But yeah, very interesting. It's the bot training it, because it's a funny thing, like... And I say this jokingly, but I sometimes blame marketers for the reason that the algorithms are biased in any particular way or have a particular tone of voice. Because I'm like, it learned off of our content. It's all the times we were trying to write blogs in a friendly tone of voice and use extra words that were not necessary. I don't know if that's our fault, actually. We use less words. 
It's probably it's probably researchers. I'm gonna blame the research content. <laughs> also, I think they set settings. So the the chat GPT version of the algorithms is actually quite um long-winded. Um you can tell it to not be so long-winded. Um there's ways you can set that. Yeah, I hate how long it talks, I hate how many words it uses. It's so annoying. Um but yeah, I think that was just a version of it. And I think the newer version is slightly shorter because they've realized that people have um people don't want to read rooms and paragraphs and everything doesn't need to be a bullet pointed list <laughs> like it seems to love to give out. It's your it's whole life story. At the time of recording this, it's the 27th of November. The speed of which AI is moving is very quick. I just wanted to put that in there. But you mentioned that you got it to not be as wordy. How have you been using it? Because I know you used it for one particular experiment I've seen on LinkedIn, where you get it to write LinkedIn posts as you. What uses and what tips do you have? So if you're using chat GPT uh, mm-hmm. to the interface where you can talk, uh, my tips would be you can click on your icon in the bottom left and you can set uh, some of the system prompts, it's called. So those are the things it believes. So mine is, I live in the UK, speak in British English, because if you use it a lot, you know, it always adds Zs and spells things American. And if you're using it to make copy and stuff, it's really annoying to have to go and copy and paste it and edit all the Zs and put everything into uh, British English. Um, I've also told it to assume I know nothing. So to always explain things. And I've told it to... uh, write as short answers as it can to get the to get its point across you can play around with these you can have it so that you set it as a marketing assistant so it always talks in marketing speak you can have it so that it talks like a ceo or a scientist um, but i think that's really interesting to play around and you can keep those settings set all the time and then you don't need to include them um, whenever you're talking to it which is called prompting so whenever you talk to chat gpt we call that prompting so like for example i consider myself a prompt engineer i am joking so this better be said as a joke if you... <laughs> just so we're clear engineers are things but they anyway. are a thing. Um, so I've been playing around quite a lot with how to get it to do what I want. So um, as Joanne mentioned, I have a I have a LinkedIn post that it does every Monday. But I also wrote a blog series, which basically started with me saying that I thought ChatGPT was stupid and why would I use it instead of Google? Um, I think I'm now on like episode or blog 12 and I've gone through the, motion, the motions of actually starting to enjoy it. A lot of people open it up and they type something in that you would type into Google, right? Mm-hmm. I want a list of uh, a list of this, top this. So my one was like, what's the best show on Netflix? That's actually a waste of time for me to ask ChatGPT, right? It's not useful. It is the same results I would get on Netflix or on Google, sorry. But you can personalize it. You can tell it things about you. You can tell it what else you've watched, things like that. But what I find really useful is if I wanted to do something. So one of the things I got it to do recently was um to do oh I've totally forgot oh to write a tra- transcript uh, from a transcript to make um subtitles so that I could put them on a YouTube video. So the first thing I did was ask it how do I use you to do this? So how do I use you to make subtitles for a YouTube video? And then it gives you a step by step guide. This is what I need to do that you need to tell me these things. And that's really helpful because then you can actually send it back. Um, so I always ask it how to do it. And then when I write the prompt, I write it like, 
you I want this and then a clarification sentence and then a few things maybe that I want it to do so maybe I don't want you to usually I give it and I don't want you to do this so what you think it's going to do that's going to annoy you um so if I'm feeding in for example writing samples I can say I don't want you to respond until I say I am finished mm-hmm. and things like that and then give it some tips so one could be explain all jargon assume I'm a software engineer and I know all of this assume I'm a marketer and I know common marketing terms so my, my prompts actually end up being about a, the second one always ends up being about a paragraph and can sometimes have an additional thing attached to it, like some code or the transcript or a blog. Um, but that's taking me quite a while to refine to get it to do what I want. Um, and I also have to proofread everything I send in to check that I haven't done it in a Northern Irish way. Uh, so as you can hear from my accent, I'm Northern Irish and we seem to use words incorrectly and also use verbs slightly incorrectly. I never notice it until I write it down, but ChatGPT can't deal with it. It freaks out a little bit and gets really confused and then makes up what I meant. Oh, and another useful thing to tell it is don't don't make things up. So GPT 3.5 has a tendency to fill in the blanks. So it was trained to always give an answer. GPT 4 and onwards isn't as bad. But um, there's a term hallucinations, which is when when one of these generative AIs just makes things up that isn't there. And um, it does happen quite a lot, actually. Um, We've been training an algorithm to do personalization of education. And for a very long time, if we didn't have the content someone asked for, it made up YouTube links, (laughs) YouTube videos and YouTube links. So if you're using GPT 3.5, which is the one on the free chat GPT version, make sure to tell it not to lie or not to make things up so that you don't get incorrect information. The not to lie bit is so, so <laughs> help. Like the amount of times, and especially when it gives you a lengthy answer and you're just like, I all of this is BS. I did not need any of that. But something you said, I I think I'm still stuck in my bad, not bad habits, old habits where I still go to Google to find out how to get the prompt to do the thing. I don't ask it. So I'm uh, definitely going to add that step in. So for my LinkedIn post that I do every Monday where I get chat GPT to write me a Monday motivation LinkedIn post like me, I got it to write the prompt. I said, how would I, how, what prompt do I need to give you to do this? So I copy and paste it every week and I edit some bits about it. But now we have an ongoing Monday conversation where I give it feedback on its uh, post from last week. Um, It's still very biased though. Like I told it I was Irish one week because people told me the post sounded like I was a California surfer dude. So I was like, I'm Irish, do it again. And it included a shamrock and stuff in, in mm-hmm. it. So I was like, cool, I, like, calm down. I can be Irish, but that doesn't need to spill through every sentence of the post. No, you've, landed on my next question so the bias that's within the models and within the AIs if there was something another bot training that bot where did the bias come from is it from the content or is it because the bot doesn't understand how did it get in there like I'm I will say like I, I'm not an expert on how exactly this algorithm was che- trained and OpenAI are quite obviously because it's commercially sensitive, quite um quite into this uh keeping it a secret. The internet is not a place of non-bias. I don't think there was any point in the tra- in the training of the model where they went through and said, This is biased, this is biased, this is biased, and told it not to do not to include things. Mm-hmm. Um interestingly though, they ran a cert, they ran um they ran some research like an independent university on chat GPT, and it's apparently very left-leaning politics-wise, which is which is interesting. And mm. um, yeah, so it it seems that they scraped certain things from the internet. 
Um, so there's definitely bias added in from the data itself, right? Because if they just scrape the internet or if they're not willing to share where the data came from, then we have to assume it was biased. If there's been no checking that it wasn't biased because one, the world is kind of biased and two, the internet is very, very biased. Very, very, um, yeah. And the training algorithm was made to made to copy a human behavior. So again, there most definitely could have been bias um, put into that. The aim was just to make the algorithm more accurate, as far as I'm aware, which again doesn't account for any bias. Mm-hmm. Um, it is a very complicated one because I guess like obviously bias isn't a good thing, but if you want a chatbot to be like realistic about the internet, then it probably is going to be a bit biased. I'm not one of those people that plays with ChatGPT and asks it bad questions, though, so I don't know how biased it is. Um, I guess some things that it does pick up on is it assumed I was a man because of my posts on technology, and yes, the Irish one I've already hit on. And yeah, if you ask it to write different um, texts for different pl- different marketing social media platforms, it does kind of assume the general user okay. and do it like that. So like for Instagram, it assumes a female. Like, um, so it's interesting that it does that. Like, um, but yeah, I haven't played around. I know loads of people, including Joanne, have tried to make it be biased, but I'm, I'm not one of those people that has done that. Oh, I have. I have seen things that GPT four and three point five have said. Um, I think a good one for marketers to test the bias in it is ask it to make a marketing persona based on high level demographics. And it is very, very interesting. The worst ones that I've seen is I've asked it to make a marketing persona on a deaf black woman. Um, and yeah, it, it said that she transcended sound and skin. And I was like, I don't. There's, there's so many layers of things that are not logical in that. Um, the latest um, one we experimented was um, describe Black Harry Potter in 100 words. Uh, sorry. No, that one was, um, yeah, yeah. But the, the, I think it's really good to note that OpenAI hasn't been transparent and that's like super frustrating because at least we could know going into it, using it for content creation that, you know, okay, if I'm going to write a blog on Apple computers, it might go and replicate content by MQBHD, who's a YouTube reviewer about Apple and stuff like that. And it makes it very tricky for a marketer to know, anyways, to trust that the content they're getting out of there is 100%. Are there any way, other ways you can think of using it for marketing or any other ways you've used it for marketing in your case? So you mentioned LinkedIn posts, blogs, um, transcripts of YouTube videos, which I didn't know that one it could do. Um, So I would just call it, I only use it for one LinkedIn post and I make it very clear that ChatGPT wrote that LinkedIn post um, because it doesn't really sound like me despite me trying. Um, I think you're touching on something that we shouldn't really get it to do the creative side of any job, particularly marketing. Mm -hmm. So I don't get it to write blogs for me. I sometimes get it to read blogs for me and proofread them for me. Um, so I'm dyslexic and I'm absolutely terrible at um, like getting things right the first time. I quite often use the wrong word or, as I've said, I like tend to use weird colloquialisms that shouldn't be used and um, things like that. And I have a very lovely husband who mostly checks my stuff for me. But uh, ChatGPT is a, is a, is a great second uh, whenever I need someone to help. So checking anything 
Um, sometimes getting writing you a blog post that you're going to edit because staring at a blank screen is sometimes the bit that is the blocker for a lot of people. So asking it to write a blog post and then being like, oh my God, this is terrible. And then editing it yourself, but having some semblance of a structure that probably makes sense because it's it's not terrible at structure. It's terrible at like the flowy, nice language in the middle. Um also, it's quite good for SEO, although mm. one thing to, because it's, because if you think about how SEO is done, it's very logical and algorithmic anyway. One thing to note is that a lot of websites are, particularly website builders like Wix and things are blocking anything. So my website's hosted on Wix at the minute and I cannot use ChatGPT to do the SEO on it. And because it's blocked, yeah. So a lot of websites are blocking web scraping and stuff like that, which is how this type of SEO thing would generally be done um it's quite good at that um if you if it can get on your website it's also quite good at doing a website audit like saying like oh it needs to have one h1 oh this bit doesn't make sense you might want to add a tagline higher up the page and things like that um planning i quite like it for planning again mm -hmm. even if it's just to give you a plan that you're like that is terrible <laughs> why would i do that at least you've got something to start with um, and good for competitor research, actually. So now that it can access the internet, you can actually talk about competitors. You can ask it to try and find out colors on websites and stuff and things like that, which I find really helpful. Um, basically, anything repetitive or anything that's going to take you a long time. The other day, I had like a list of emails that I'd had signed up at an event and they'd been sitting on my desk for a month because there was 40 to 44 emails on it and I could not be bothered typing 44 emails into my computer. Um, so I was trying to work out a way I could do it quicker and what I actually ended up doing was taking a picture on Google Translate on my phone and getting it to um, output some data and then I copied and pasted the data into ChatGPT and told it what it was. These are supposed to be emails that were signed up at an event. This is the output from Google Translate. Can you actually work out what the emails are supposed to be? I did a pretty good job. I think there was only 10 that it got wrong um, and mostly they were from handwriting or Google's fault not chat gpt's fault so something that i think would have taken me an hour and a half or something that ended up taking me five minutes okay so it's, it's time saving not time replacement it's yeah something you mentioned that i'm curious on so if and i think a lot of this is really good for like the all-in-one marketer the one who's doing 152 roles and they can just get the top level stuff but i'm curious for the marketers that are in large corporations where there's a lot of protection on copyright and so forth. How do you see that relationship work? And I know it hasn't been defined yet, but if someone was to put a piece of content that they've written into ChatGPT, is it still theirs? What are your thoughts? I know because I know it isn't law yet. Ooh. Yeah, I think so. I think like it's it's going to go on the internet anyway, right? So when they put it on the internet, it's still theirs, right? Isn't it? Mm. <laughs> Yeah. Um, I think I'm very into I, I quite I think copyright is very important Um, I did have a chat with um, a barrister about this really randomly a few weeks ago he's really interested in all of this and he said that um, it'll always be very difficult to do for anyone to take any copyright cases against these algorithms because copyright law in the UK at the minute is very very strict that it must be a clearly defined copied path and it'll be really difficult to ever unless there's 
there's like word for word copying you can't really copy tone and style because that's actually not something you can like write down and and protect so he saw it as like unless it was literally taking paragraphs out of a book or something it wasn't ever going to be seen as like copyright and if it's on the internet anyway then anyone else can do that as well so um I think people still own the copyright. I think if you would put it on the internet anyway, it's probably fine to put it into chat GPT. Just my personal opinion. I think some of the court cases going on at the minute are very interesting. So this is slightly going off marketing, but the the fact that um in in the music world they've deep faked uh, Drake and the weekend and that's been submitted to the Grammys and stuff like that so how all of those things play out because uh, Drake and the weekend didn't, didn't say they could be deep faked so deep faked uh-huh. is whenever you like copy someone's image and voice so this TikToker which I'm gonna show that I'm not that into 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 social media this TikToker whose name I can't remember anymore um has a deep fake account where he deep fakes music videos and this one went up and then got taken down like immediately because I assume the the label were like threatening all kinds of things but then the TikToker submitted it to to the Grammys to see if it would get through and I'm not sure what the outcome of that is but I think things like that are very important at the minute because that's going to set the tone right uh-huh. do we that like, because with the number of views that got on YouTube and stuff it's probably one of the biggest songs of the year but um, like can that be submitted to the Grammys like can it be does Drake win an award if he, if he was deep faked like how does that end up working so those conversations are really interesting and same with the writers strike in America so not quite copyright it's more like job protection a little uh-huh. bit um so all of these things going on at the minute are going to influence copyright laws they're going to influence everything that happens so the t- how all of these things turn out um is very important so the writers are striking to protect themselves against being replaced from ai generated script writing they don't want to end up just being the person who checks the ai generated script at the end they want to be involved in the creative process and like completely agree have you seen things like created by chat gpt there's no creativity they miss like nuance of like humanness like things that would be funny that it wouldn't quite understand it's actually an excellent black mirror episode on this um there's an episode where after someone dies you can bring them back to life and the episode starts off with like i can't remember whether it's a jamiroquai or a bg's like guilty pleasure song comes on in the car and the guy's like oh i love this song and his wife's like that's not really like in your taste and he's like oh guilty pleasure and turns it right up and then whenever they fake generate him back in the future the song comes on the radio and he says he hates it because you can't actually dig in because by all algorithmic written down parts of it he should hate the song it's really against his personality to like the song but he loves the song so I think that's what's going to happen is if we keep using AI to do all the creative stuff and in marketing as well because sometimes marketing really touches your soul or it's really moving or it's really funny I think it's going to end up missing all of those bits and it's just going to be like oh I'll go and buy that but you've no emotional connection to why you're going to buy that or sign up for that or whatever that's that's so needed a theory that i have and i was speaking to someone on the podcast about it was that marketing is going to go back to the psychology of it it's going to go back to the core elements but i'm curious to know if you could because we're recording this in end of november and it's going to come out in february if you could (laughs) predict because i think I'm comparing AI years to dog years because I'm obsessed with dogs at the moment. (laughs) 
if you could predict what the next couple of months are going to look like in the AI world and then correlate that with how you think it might impact creative, well, what do you think, where do you think we'll be? So speaking very much on what's happened recently, so recap, if, if people are listening to this in February and don't know, it's been a lot of things going on with OpenAI, who are the company who created ChatGPT, a lot of moving around of CEOs and then reinstating the CEO and a whole new board being formed. Um, I think what that's actually opening up is space for other players because uh, a little bit of faith has been shaken in them. They still have a stronghold, but for example, Anthropic, who make Claude, who's a chat GPT competitor, are currently doubling down and lowering prices and making it easier for people to access. And their big focus is AI safety, which isn't quite biased, but it touches on Think, touches on thinking about bias, I think is how I would word it. Um, so I see like things potentially moving towards it being a more equal playing field, not everybody talking about chat GPT. I also, um, from personal experience, I'm talking to other people, we are going to start seeing bots that have jobs. <laughs> what I mean by that is mm. potentially within a, a marketing flow, there might be the writer, the editor, the, the something, the creative one, and they're all going to have little personalities. I say this like kind of facetiously because like they're going to have personalities given to them by a person um, and they're going to do specific jobs as opposed to trying to get chat GPT to do everything for you. Uh -huh. But So OpenAI has also just launched GPTs. GPT still uses chat GPT. But um, I think we're going to get closer and closer to people being able to edit things more and make them work in a really specific way for them. And the barrier to entry to that, which was originally you must be able to code, is getting lower and lower and lower as these companies are realizing that's what people want. So in terms of creativity, potentially by February, you might be able to make a bot that does a lot, that does a, as something in the way that you do it. But that requires you to be able to put down your thought process, your considerations and um, things like that. So I don't know if companies are working on making that easier, asking you questions. Oh, I've just got a business idea off the back of this, but like, never mind. So by February, I will be doing this. No, I'm joking. <laughs> a whole other business. But no, that's really interesting because the potential is huge. But I think for marketeers and special to specialists, it's still the same thing. Getting people to put their thoughts down is the harder part. Getting people to describe what they want, getting people to really emote. So it's not the same, but it's similar. I saw a TikTok, TikTokers, um, where dancers were talking to each other in dance speak. And they would be like, give me a boom, cack, boom, cack, cack. I'd be like, if you're not a dancer, you're just like, that's what language is that? What are you saying? But they just understood each other. And I feel like in a lot of industries, we have our own shorthand that is so niche in particular. Like for us, when we're training clients, we have an understanding of the client's level of understanding of marketing or level of understanding of inclusive marketing. And then that's how we will shape the content. But it's only when you speak to them and you hear them describe something in a certain way, you must have it with AI all the time where someone comes to you and says, oh, robots are going to kill us. Or if they come and ask you a specific question about transformers, it's a very different level. So, huh. Okay, so that's February. Now say there's no regulations 
um, because currently there's chat about there being regulations. In five years, where where do you think, being optimistic as well, do you think AI will be in five years? I think I'm actually a little bit, like, not a pessimist, because I don't think AI is a bad thing, but I think we will hit a wall with how fast the acceleration is going, because that is how things tend to have happened previously. So in the past, things have been restricted by computing power. I think this will hit a wall where it won't be able to run fast enough anymore because we need to feed so many words into it to get it to do what we want. So I find thinking about five years in the future, like to me, I can't really picture a world where things are that different. Like maybe the barrier to entry is a bit lower. That's the thing I'm really obsessed with actually. Um, For people being able to use them, I think a lot of companies will have really accepted um, using chat GPT and stuff like that every day in the same way that we now use Google Sheets and stuff every day. Um, there is, I guess, the other alternative where everything keeps accelerating really fast and everyone could have, again, good to Black Mirror, a little mini version of themselves that they've like downloaded themselves into that like helps them with their like admin tasks all the time. Um, I guess to me, that's probably like the, the casual version of the AI acceleration is everybody gets something that can help speed up their day um, out of it. And then I'm going to be really, really pessimistic and be like, but everybody wouldn't get that. And actually what we're going to be doing is a deepening inequalities throughout society. But I don't believe this is the podcast for me to air those grievances. <laughs> yeah, I will say in a marketing sense, if we're not mindful, my pessimistic side is that Marxists will be the fault for AI getting worse if it continues to scrape the content that we lazily publish without checking for bias and stereotypes. But anywho, on a positive note, we can all get a mini Miley Cyrus. That's the episode you were speaking about. Yeah. Uh, that uh, No, actually, that's a good one. It's the same technology. I'm a real Black Mirror nerd. It's the same technology, but um, there is a Christmas episode. I think it's called Black Christmas from like very mm. early on, back when it was on Channel 4. And it's all about this green technology. And basically you have like a mini little clone of you that feels feelings and gets upset. But the whole point is it knows how you like your toast, stuff like that. So when it makes you toast, it makes you the perfect toast. And like it knows what temperature the shower needs to be. And like really random stuff. I do recommend watching that one. It's very interesting. The Black Christmas one. <laughs> if there's anything to take away from this episode, watch all of the Black Mirror uh, episodes and you'll get As an idea. warnings. As warnings, not as instructions on what to do. I quite often see news articles and I'm like, you weren't supposed to take that as a, let's build this thing. You were supposed to take it as a bad. Don't do it. But I think it was the one, I don't know which came first, the Black Mirror episode or the Boston Dynamics dog. And they made a dog similar to one of the episodes and everyone was just like, no, no. And then a a couple of years later, they made a pledge that none of their robotics will ever be armed. And it was like, I hear you, but someone could just take your technology and do that. So you're still making the thing. But anywho, on a positive note, I think it would be really good for marketers to have mini versions doing little things. Um, and I like your tip about if you're going to publish it on the internet anyways, don't worry too much about it. Like that's, I feel like that's a good bit for where we are right now in the whole IP situation of of AI. Um, so many said, I just, 
Mm-hmm. going to say another thing that I think that I totally forgot to mention that it might be really helpful for marketeers and is how easy it's becoming to transform content from one type to another. So at the minute you make a blog and yes, you can use some software to make a robotic sounding voice, turn it into a podcast or a video, but people don't want that. But we are getting closer and closer to being able to like very quickly make, it could be deep faked, but if you're deep faking yourself, I'm not sure that's a problem. <laughs> that's where my line is. If you're deep faking yourself, yourself or you have literal written consent to deep fake someone in a really specific way that's also fine but don't do it in any other way and like yeah like if I could deep fake videos of myself to make more educational content for our platform currently I'd be really into that be really creepy but I'd be really into it Um, And I think that helps marketing as well, because then it means you can focus on the thing that you're really good at. So maybe you're a really good writer, but you're not amazing at video production. And yes, you should still always hire people who are. But sometimes when you're a one person band or you're the only marketing person for a company, you need a little bit of a helping hand. So that's kind of the opposite of my concerns of earlier. It's more of a leveling of the playing field in that respect, because it's giving tools to people who might not be able to do everything mm. themselves, which I think is really helpful for marketing, particularly because content is currently like so important for companies and such a big asset to marketeers. And it takes up so much time to make. Content is becoming such a monopoly and the amount needed as well has changed. Marketing five, ten years ago is very different to marketing today and the amount of content you have to produce in the types and the formats and so forth. This podcast is even an example of that. It's a different shape of content I didn't think I was going to be doing when I started the company in 2017. So it's a variety. Um, okay, so the cover podcast is called Marketing Made Inclusive. Can you think of a campaign you've seen recently? Be any type of campaign. I wouldn't specify to be like one that was diverse or not diverse. And let's see if we can make it inclusive. I'm going to give you an example that is probably really annoying. So um, I'm quite deeply into building a tech platform at the minute. So most of my life is spent on the internet researching different software that can help me. Um, so there was a campaign by a company called, I think it's pronounced SUPA base. It's like S-U-P-A base. Um, it's a database and an uh, authorization management company. Yeah. And uh, their big tagline was build in a weekend scale to millions, which I was like, Ooh, that's, that's okay. very interesting. Um, so anyway, I started using them now because they also offer like, uh, their other thing is. I don't really understand this. They're the, uh, an open source version of Firebase, which I believe is like um, a Google product. Uh, so I guess they're marketing one. They're definitely marketing to me, a uh, company founder who wants to do things fast. And they're also marketing a known brand name as a comparison, which I thought was quite interesting. Mm. Um, I, yeah, I'm not sure if like, this is the, 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 where the inclusivity. Just I guess thinking. they're not marketing to non-tech people at all. Yeah, they're being very specific in their language, but it's interesting. The weekend to billions line is still a very specific individual to word it because it's someone who has a company, one, is a, a CEO or doing it themselves, but also has a weekend. <laughs> yeah, actually, that's a good point. Uh, yeah, who, actually, yeah. you're right. It's it's marketing to the very typical, like, oh, I've got an idea. I'm going to have an, a minimum viable product in a couple of days. Oh, I can do this at the weekend. I don't have carrying responsibilities. I don't have a part-time job that I have to do on top of my other job. Yeah, no, you're right. I didn't really think of that. Um, but in that case, I think it's good because then it's 
removing the people who have more time because I guess they don't convert as fast as well. So that's interesting. It's, it's, I wouldn't say it's inclusive, but I think it's intentionally exclusive because was there any imagery with it? Or was it just... It was like a black screen with like slightly light up dots in the background and then like green text. Yeah, it obviously really stuck in my head. <laughs> it really converted me. I'm quite bad at like um, actually agreeing to use software for the platform. It feels like a really big commitment to me. Um, so this is one of the only ones that I've been converted to. So... No, I like that because then because the only thing I thought that I can go off with is if they had any kind of representation of the typical coder or the typical founder. If, very clean. Yeah, I was going to say the um, whole website's very clean. It's just text. It's just, yeah, like images. Um, yeah, I would say, though, their brand isn't super inclusive because it's they're like, what's the term? Like blogs aren't super easy to follow along with their get started stuff I'm like this isn't very like beginner friendly but that's not that's neither here nor there I think they're advertising like you said to a particular type of person Mm. who and to be honest that particular when I think about that persona they may go to videos anyways so they can fast forward to the bits they want help so it'd be interesting to see Uh, what how many types of content they have for that persona they're targeting that is interesting. So I don't like videos. <laughs> so I never think to look for videos ever. So when I was reading through, and I guess actually for following along with a tech blog, actually, mm. it's not as likely to go to a video. If you want to do something specific, it's better to have code snippets that you can copy and paste into something. Um, mm. But just like things like some things didn't quite work. And if you didn't know how to debug it, you would probably be really demoralized and give up. Whereas I'm the opposite. And I'm like, no, what's wrong with this? <laughs> No, I like that. I like that the, the cleanness of it. And I think the campaign in and of itself, the way it sounds, it sounds like they were intentional with that because they could have done a stock image. They could have done a typical, you know, male dude at a keyboard coding away on the weekend. But they had the same persona, but just made it universal. It's someone who has a weekend to build and launch something. That is, yeah. we want those people who are fast turners. I like that. That. Inclusive and exclusive, a good, good at good. <laughs> good. <laughs> um, for those who don't know, Laura and I were speaking before trying to figure out what campaigns have influenced recently. Um, and yeah, I, I don't, I'm curious to know what ads you get served. I'm curious to see your algorithm. Yeah, I gotta say, so most of when I think of advertising, I'm currently watching Bake Off. So we get adverts in between Bake Off and they're really annoying and they actively make me not want to shop because in one episode of Bake Off, you get shown the same three adverts three, four times. And it really annoys me. So like my current ones are Marks and Spencer's Christmas advert, Domino's, and then like something to do with a car, which like I'm not really into cars. So like, I don't really know. Um, And they're just so annoying. You don't like the Marks and Spencer ads? Oh, I liked it before I got me to watch it four times in an hour. But they're so they're so beautiful. They're, they're like our favorite. We do a recap of all the Christmas ads um, at the end of the year. Oh, you should add this one in. I'll find it for a pub in Enniskillen in Ireland. Um, it's really cute. It's a little old man who's like goes and puts flowers on what you assume is his wife's grave, and he's walking down the street in in Enniskillen, and no one's talking to him, even though he's trying to chat. And then he goes into the pub and gets his pint of Guinness, obviously, because he's in Ireland. And uh, a little puppy runs over to him and like he plays with the puppy. And then the people that own the puppy like ask if like, they can sit down. So then they end up chatting and having a nice time. And I think the, the tagline they put on it was, 
where there's no strangers, only friends you haven't met yet at the end, which I think is really nice for people that are lonely at Christmas. Yeah, I really liked it. <laughs> but I really liked the, over the recent years, I found Christmas ads have been adding generational levels and awareness of like the loneliness around the season. It's it's really lovely to see that side of it. And obviously they're still selling something, but the Marks and Spence is one of my favorite. We're going to check that one out. But um, before we go, Laura, please let the people know where they can find you on the internet. Uh, well, I'm quite active on LinkedIn, uh, both on my personal account and Top by Humans account. I will say I'm quite active, so like only follow me if you want to be messaged many times. I'm joking. Um, and also Top by Humans exists at topbyhumans.com. Oh, and we have a YouTube channel with some data and AI content on it, also under Top by Humans, if you're interested in checking that out. We'll add all those links in the show notes. Thank you so much for joining me for the Marketing Made Inclusive podcast. I have a huge favor to ask you as a listener or a watcher, please subscribe and recommend it to one of your marketing friends. That's the only way I have a mission to make inclusive marketing the industry standard by 2030. And I need your help to do that. So subscribe, leave a review and share it with your network. See you next week where we'll continue to discuss everything marketing made inclusive.